Well, this is an exciting time in the life of our church. See Ralph Kodry out there, and Ralph had shared with me on Thursday night that one of the things that he does when he comes here on a Sunday morning is he prays for the empty seat that's closest to him. And he prays that that seat will be filled by someone who needs to hear about Jesus Christ. Isn't that our prayer as a church? That the seats in this place would be filled not for Calvary Church's glory. Who cares about that? We'll fade away. But for the glory of Jesus Christ. And so join us in this. This is an exciting season in the life of Calvary Church as God does great things. And we're actually even coming out of a great season too. Obviously with the transition that happened in February. But we started a little book study in the Gospel of Mark back in January. If you were there with us when we launched this. Here it is in August and we're still in the Gospel of Mark. And we plan to be here, other than a pause we'll do next Sunday and the weeks after that for a mini-series as we're going to talk about worship. But other than that, we'll be in Mark until next Easter. The reason for that is because, one, is we think it's worthwhile to walk slowly through the Scriptures so that we don't miss anything that Jesus would have for us. There was a guy named John Mark. He was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this Gospel of Mark. John Mark was a contemporary, a colleague of the Apostle Paul, the cousin of the encourager, Barnabas. The Holy Spirit inspired John Mark to hear what he, or to write down what he had heard and observed into this book. It's 16 chapters. It was written about 55 AD, about 20 years after the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And Mark's heart and his goal was this was to show that through the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus, that he is the Son of God. And so we think this is worthwhile to slowly walk through as a church over this year and a half. To once again remind ourselves that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the hope. Jesus is the bread of life that we all hunger for. It's about Jesus. And so we're asking this question, who is Jesus? Maybe you are here and you're a skeptic. And this is a safe and good place to be. And this is a perfect study to go through the Gospel of Mark as we wrestle with this question of who Jesus is. Mark takes us on this whirlwind tour. We hop around the Sea of Galilee, back and forth, back and forth. It starts off with the baptism of Jesus and we see John the Baptist put him in the water saying, I am not worthy to do this, but I, okay. Jesus comes out of the water and the father says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. From there, Jesus is led off into the spirit, into the wilderness where he's tempted by the evil one, by Satan himself. He overcomes temptation because Jesus is the blameless and spotless lamb who was without sin. And then Mark travels with Jesus as we have this front row seat to see Jesus interact with people in the region of Galilee. He speaks words of life and wisdom to people. He heals people of their diseases and infirmities, and blesses them and casts out demons. It's just, it's just incredible. And all this leads to the apex of the Gospel of Mark, which is chapter 8. Now today, we're going to finish right up to verse 26. It's going to be a little teaser. We're going to get right up to the line 
of the apex of the Gospel of Mark. But really, the center of Mark, to connect to that verse 1, is in Mark 8, 27 through chapter 10. Where Jesus, after having his disciples follow him all over Galilee, looks at them and says, Who do you say that I am? And so all of it boils down to this chapter right here. But today is still worthwhile as we lead up to that spot. And so if you're in your Bibles, pull to Mark chapter 8, verse 1. If you have it on your phone, I'm using the NASB version. That's also the same version that's in the free Bible that's in the seat rack in front of you. And if you're able to manage your lap okay, can you also grab the sermon notes and follow along with those as well? Because that helps whatever is said from here that's fuzzy be a little bit more clear. Mark chapter 8 verse 1 says this. In those days when there was again a large crowd and they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples and he said to them, I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me now three days and they have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way and some of them have come from a great distance. And his disciples answered him, Well, where will anyone be able to find enough bread here in this desolate place to satisfy these people? As he was asking them, Well, how many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. And he directed the people to sit down on the ground. And taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks and broke them and started giving them to his disciples to serve them. And they served them to the people. They also had a few small fish, and after he had blessed them, he ordered these to be served as well. And they ate, and they were satisfied. And they picked up seven large baskets full of what was left over of the broken pieces. About 4,000 were there, and he sent them away. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And so what we just read... Matters here in 2018. It matters. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be in this space here this morning. We believe that it's not by accident that any of us are here, that God, that you have a purpose, a direct purpose for each of us to be in this room, to be listening right now. God, I pray that you would transform us through your word. God, give our eyes the opportunity to see the beauty and the truth of Jesus. Give our ears the ability to hear your loving invitation of grace. And so by the power of your Holy Spirit, soften our hardened hearts. Remind us of who you are, Jesus. In Christ we pray. Amen. So I got to clear up a little bit of confusion as you read this passage for the first time this morning is If you grew up in any type of Sunday school, you no doubt heard your teacher talk about the feeding of the 5,000. This account, though, describes the feeding of the 4,000. Maybe it doesn't matter to you, but if you want to be technical about it, well, who's right? Did did Jesus feed 5,000 people or did Jesus feed 4,000 people? Did Mark just do the math wrong? Did he make a mistake? Like, What's going on here? Did he feed five or four? That's the bottom line. And as you look at the scriptures, and even that's why it's beautiful to walk through the whole gospel of Mark, 
you see that this isn't actually the only account of a feeding of the multitude that we had read actually just a couple weeks ago that indeed Jesus did feed 5,000 hungry people. So this is the second time that Jesus has fed a large crowd. On the back of your sermon notes, if you flip to the back, you can see a little chart, handy-dandy chart to compare what we have here. You see that Jesus with the 5,000, probably more like 20,000 if you, if you count women and children, had compassion on the crowds. He took five loaves and two fish from a little boy who was listening in as part of the crowd. That crowd that day had about one day to listen to Jesus. It was springtime, and then here's the key. They were on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. The north side of that sea was Jewish. And so Jesus, as he fed the 5,000 people in the crowd, was speaking and doing a miracle to Jewish people, Yahweh people, people that kept the law. Now we see here in Mark 8 that Jesus on the clear other side of the Sea of Galilee. He's on the southeast side and this area was a Gentile side. So now Jesus is speaking to people who didn't keep the law, who maybe didn't even have any knowledge of who Yahweh was from the Old Testament. And so he's speaking to a completely different audience and yet you can see that he has a similar way of treating them. Look at verse 2 again. He says, I feel compassion for the people. That word compassion in the original language is a wonderful, rich word. It basically, if I could sum it up, it means to feel something deeply in your gut. It's gut-wrenching. This isn't just some, you know, passing thought that Jesus has as he's speaking to the crowd. Like, oh, I, I kind of feel sorry for them because they seem like they haven't eaten in a while. No, this is Jesus, literally with emotions that go deep into his core saying, ah, these people are hungry and I literally hurt for them because of their physical hunger. Do you get that? The deep compassion that Jesus had, not just for the Jews on one side of the sea, but also now here in pagan Gentile regions. He feels for the people. You know, chapter, verse 3 says, If I send them away hungry to their homes, they'll faint on the way. And some of them have come a great distance. Jesus knew what it felt like to be hungry. Later in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, we see that the writer of Hebrews says, Jesus can sympathize with our weaknesses. He understands what we're going through. Jesus walked in our shoes. He had real struggles. He felt hunger, none more than, as I described, with the baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist, and then he's led into the Spirit, led by the Spirit into the desert, tempted by Satan in some really difficult, challenging ways. And the scriptures tell us that as Jesus was in the desert being tempted by the evil one, he didn't eat for 40 days. Maybe you skipped breakfast this morning and you're already feeling it. <laughs> Jesus didn't eat for 40 days. Later in the Gospel of Luke, Luke just casually, as kind of his medical background maybe would allow him to do, says, after those 40 days, Jesus was hungry. <laughs> like, okay, I think that's a little bit of an understatement. Jesus was starving. 
He knew what physical hunger felt like. And so as he's here in this Gentile region, here in Mark 8, and he's looking out at this crowd of 4,000 people, plus women and children, more than that, he has deep gut-wrenching compassion on them because he understands what it feels like to even experience spiritual hunger. Jesus had walked in their shoes. Family, Jesus has walked in your shoes too. Is that real to you today? That the same way the Hebrew writer was able to say Jesus understands and sympathizes with your weaknesses, the same as that's true with those that were out in the desert listening to Jesus in Mark 8, it's true for you and I here today too that Jesus has compassion on you and I. Jesus experienced rejection and betrayal. Maybe you're experiencing rejection in some way right now. Jesus understands you and has compassion. Maybe you're experiencing dysfunction in your family right now. Jesus experienced dysfunction in his family. His brothers and sisters, even his own mom, wanted to arrest him and take him away to silence him. Jesus understands your family dysfunction and has compassion on you. Maybe you're just feeling overwhelmed and tired as you sit here this morning. Life's challenges just are weighing you down this morning. Jesus experienced overwhelming situations. Jesus experienced being tired. He understands you and and has compassion on you. Maybe your life just feels like it's unstable right now. Things are constantly changing around you. You have no roots right now. Just feel like this anxiety about your life. Jesus understands. He never had a permanent home as he lived here on this earth. Jesus understands and has compassion on you. Jesus had gut-wrenching compassion on the crowd. Jesus has gut-wrenching compassion for you. Will you rest in that this morning? Will I? Not just dismiss it, like, okay, yeah, I get that. No, sit with that for a moment. Jesus has compassion for where you're at. He understands. He sympathizes. He's with you. It's one of the amazing ways that he provides. He's a compassionate. He's a faithful. And he's a generous provider, our Jesus. And then it goes on. and says, Jesus, uh, in verse 4, says, well, well, where are we going to find, a disciple say, where are we going to find anything to help these people? This is a desolate place. And what are we going to do with these people here? So the disciples were out of their comfort zone on the Gentile side of the Sea of Galilee. Even though many of them were fishermen, they knew the sea well. They'd already, according to Mark, traveled all around and even been in this region before. This wasn't a comfort zone place for them. This area of the Sea of Galilee on the Gentile side was known as Decapolis. It was a grouping of ten cities, often known as the League of Cities. They were Greco-Roman in background and practice. These ten cities were very pagan. Sexual immorality was just part of city life in the Decapolis. There was corruption both in the government and in the marketplace. And there was worship to gods like Zeus, glorified and paraded around. And so here's these Jewish disciples on a missions trip, basically. 
in a foreign land, think Amsterdam, think Bangkok, think Vegas. This is where they were. This is where Jesus is preaching to the crowds. This is where Jesus had compassion. I think it's interesting, and maybe I have a modern reading of this verse. But it says here, how are we going to satisfy at the end of verse 4, these people? We're guilty, aren't we, of classifying and lumping people together, aren't we? The disciples said these people, these people were different from them. Not only in their worship practices, but also in their language and in their skin color and in their backgrounds. And the disciples look at them and say, we're different from them. So this is these people and this is us. I'm just reading in the text, there's like this natural barrier between the disciples and those that Jesus is preaching to here in Mark 8. Aren't you so thankful that here in 2018, we're so much more advanced in our humility and growth as people? No. Think about who are these people in your life? Who are the people that have maybe different skin than you, different skin coloring than you, who speak a different language from you, that have a different background than you? And how easy and tempting it is to say these people and put up just a natural barrier there. Jesus had compassion on the crowd. There was no these or those people to Jesus. Everyone that he came in contact with was somebody that was spiritually hungry, that needed the bread of life. And Jesus saw that. No matter their background, their skin color, or what they worshipped, Jesus saw their true need, their spiritual hunger for him. Don't you want to be like people like that as followers of Jesus? As we live in this kingdom with Jesus as our king, may there never be these people. May it be people who are loved by God. The disciples also look at verse 4, say, how are we going to find bread in this desolate place? Basically, the Matt Doan uh, translation of this is, how are we ever going to find like bread in this god-awful, forsaken, horrible, dry desert of a land? I'm thinking even uh, when I was the high school pastor here, I took a group of kids on a river trip. And as we were coming back, the 5 freeway was shut down. We had to go all the way around the grapevine on the 14, if you've ever taken that highway before. And we were between Palmdale and Lancaster, one of the most wonderful places in California, to be honest. <laughs> And the transmission in the wonderful church van went out. And we were stranded between Palmdale and Lancaster. 14 high school kids and myself. And it was the middle of August. We were not happy people. And I can relate to the disciples like, this desolate place, like, just get me out of here. Like, I'll do anything to get out of this area. It was one of the greatest moments when the tow truck pulled up. They only had room for one person, so I jumped in, (laughs) left the 14 students there. Actually, I only left half of the students, the freshmen. The rest came with us. But it was so wonderful to feel the air conditioning of our rescuer in that cab and being, oh, we're getting out of this desolate place. The disciples felt that not only were these people, but this wilderness place, like, Jesus, what are you talking about? It's great you have compassion, but there's no bread here, like, We're stuck. There's nothing we can do. 
But Jesus again saw beyond the physical. He saw the spiritual needs of the people. He saw that they had been sitting there listening to his words for three days. Can you imagine? For three days, maybe they brought some provisions with them to first listen to Jesus, but they had begun to eat through those and they were gone. And and here they are hanging on his every word. No one wants to leave because the true bread of life is there. It's Jesus. Jesus sees their spiritual hunger and he's responding to it. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where your hunger just took a back seat to whatever was in front of you. Maybe it's when you fell in love with your spouse and you had such a great feeling, you were so excited to be with them that you were just never hungry when you were in your dating relationship because you were just so excited to be, that's how, Marie, that's how it was for us. Maybe it's when you were in college and you were having to crank out a paper. The deadline was coming and you just forgot dinner that night because you were just so enthralled with having to finish this paper. Maybe it's when you were moving from an apartment or a condo and you were just so busy packing all your stuff and trying to get it in the rented trailer that you just skipped several meals. There's times when hunger takes a back seat, right? Think of this crowd None of them had a ton of background experience in in knowing what the Messiah would look like. They were Gentiles. They were pagans. They lived in Vegas. And yet, when Jesus spoke, they knew that these were the words of life. And they hung on his words. And so Jesus, responding in compassion, verse 6 again, says, He directed people to sit down, and he took seven loaves, and he gave thanks And he broke it. He broke the bread, lifting it up like this. Now, there's some significance of this. As Jesus is providing for the people, I want you to see one that as he gave thanks for the bread, he broke it. He was doing a very priestly thing. A Jewish priest would often bless or or give thanks before he would serve a meal, right? And so Jesus is a very priestly, in a really priestly office, is is showing this to the people. He's also showing that this is from the hand of God. This isn't some magic trick. He's not calling on Zeus, one of their gods. He's calling on Yahweh. He's calling on the Father to do something with this bread. He's showing the disciples even that this is from God. I also want you to take note of something, though, is that Jesus is thanking God for the bread before the miracle has even happened. It's kind of interesting to note, huh? How many of us were very thankful for God after he provides, but how many of us are able to worship and thank God before he provides? Maybe you read in the email this week about my first year out of college and I'm driving on the 57 freeway and I literally do not have $20 to my name. I couldn't go to the ATM and pull out a 20. It would say insufficient funds. And I'm just on the 57 driving towards my apartment in Brea just saying, God, please provide. Show up. I need you right now. And I walked into my apartment, stack of mail, opened one of the letters from SoCal Edison. I think it was called Edison at the time. And there's a rebate check for $41. It's like, when was the last time you ever got any money from Edison? (laughs) It's like, no way. It didn't change my life. It didn't instantly take care of all my financial needs. 
but it was just this little reminder that God provides, that he's taking care of me. I had my friends George and Nancy read that email, and they pulled me aside this weekend. They go, oh, Matt, you got to hear our story about that. We were in the Army. It was the early 60s. And George was in the army, Nancy, they were just newly married, and uh, they had 20 cents to their name, literally two dimes. And they thought, you know what, rather than feel sorry for ourselves, uh, uh, ice cream in town costs 10 cents. Let's go get an ice cream each. Just celebrate that at least we have this. So they walk out of their apartment, this is in the south, they close the door and they realize our keys are still in the apartment. So they go and get the manager, and the manager comes to the door and says, that will be 10 cents to open your door. <laughs> and so they give him their, one of their dimes. He opens the door, they get their keys, and they go and they share one ice cream between the two of them. And we were laughing about that, just like, wow, boy, those were tough days. Those were interesting days. Those were days you really had to trust God, huh? But what if we thanked and worshiped God before he even provided Maybe you're waiting for a spouse. Can you thank and worship God now? Maybe you're waiting for a job. Can you thank and worship God now? Maybe you're waiting for a prodigal grandson to come home. Can you worship and thank God now? Jesus thanked the Lord before even any of the multiplication happened. And then it said that he blessed the bread. So he's showing that this is from God. He's showing that... He trusts God even before the multiplication happens. There's a third thing that he's showing, but we'll get there in like two or three minutes, okay? Hold on. I love this quote from Peter Scazzaro. He says, A constant temptation for us is to look at the scarcity of what we have, the size of the problems before us, and our sins and weakness. We forget who we are and that we, what we have is irrelevant. We have a miraculous Lord and he has us. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. So this was the scene out in the desert. Jesus is a faithful, compassionate, and generous provider. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. And he who believes in me will never thirst. But here's the problem. We forget really quickly, don't we? We have spiritual amnesia. Jump down to verse 17 of Mark 8. It says, And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? And do you not see or understand? Do you have a hardened heart? Verse 18. Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? So this is the scene. The disciples and Jesus go back into the boat. They go back to the Jewish side of the Sea of Galilee. They're met by religious leaders. The religious leaders, the scriptures say, come out to greet them. That word come out in the Greek is a military term, meaning they came out to fight them. The Pharisees question Jesus. They ask him for a sign. Jesus deeply sighs in sadness over their unbelief, their skepticism. The fact they didn't really want a sign. They wanted Jesus to conform to their image. They wanted a provider, but they wanted that provider to provide what they wanted. Not what God wanted. How often is that our case too? So Jesus gets back on the boat. He goes with the disciples. And the disciples only have one loaf of bread for, let's just say there's 12 of them. And they begin to panic. Well, we only have one loaf of bread. What are we going to do? 
Uh, we're hungry. Like, what's going to happen to us? Like, there's 12 of us. There's only one loaf. How are we going to do this? And Jesus looks at him and is like, uh, time out. Um, I just fed 4,000 people about 48 hours ago. Before that, with five loaves, I fed 5,000. Um, are you so dull that you can't get this? Do you have such spiritual amnesia that you can't even remember what happened to you yesterday? My faithfulness to you? What's going on? Again, Peter Scazzaro, I love this guy. He's a pastor in New York. He says, why is it that when I face mountains of the day, I suffer a swift loss of memory, of Christian amnesia, forgetting the miraculous power of Jesus? Jesus asked, how many loaves do you have? And now I offer the little I have to him, but that is all that he needs. Family, you and I are guilty of spiritual amnesia, of forgetting what God has done in our lives, forgetting that he is compassionate, he's faithful, he's generous in our lives. It's one of the reasons that we meet. You know, many are saying, well, why do I need to go to church? I can just listen online uh, to the best preachers in the world. Um, I can figure out how to kind of do my own church in my own way, my own time, and my own convenience. Why should I switch to a 930 service? Well, here's why. Because we forget. We need each other. We need to gather together as followers of Jesus, as those that are on a journey with God. And we need to be reminded together at the same pace, at the same time. Otherwise, our default is spiritual amnesia, to forget what God has done, to forget that he's a provider. Ah, I need bread! So we gather to remember. Jesus does another miracle here in this chapter. He takes a blind man and he does something kind of interesting. He spits on his eyes and touches them. And the man can sort of see. So then Jesus does this again and then he can really see. And when you first read that scripture, you're kind of confused like, Wait, did Jesus' power to heal not work the first time? He has to do it again? But no, there, there's a really specific reason that Jesus deals with this man in this way. And that he was showing the disciples, this is your journey. You see a little bit. One day you'll see clearly. Mark eight twenty five says, he laid hands on his eyes and he looked intently and was restored. And he began to see everything clearly. That's our prayers, that we could see clearly who Jesus is, that he is the great provider. So in the desert, as he blessed the bread and the fishes, he was showing that it was from God. He was showing that he was thankful even before the uh, food was multiplied. But I also wonder if when Jesus was in the desert, as he broke the bread, he was thinking to a future greater meal. Jesus was thinking of the Passover meal held in the upper room in Jerusalem just a little while later. As Jesus would be in the upper room with the disciples and he would take the bread and he would break it and he said, this is my body done for you. And he would take the cup, not fish, and say, this is my blood made in covenant for you. Do this in remembrance 
of me. Communion is an opportunity to remember the compassion, the faithfulness, the generosity of Jesus. One final thought, and then I'd like us to take this supper, is that we forget what God has done in our lives. We have spiritual amnesia, but you know God forgets something too, if I could say that? God actually forgets something as well, and it's because of what Jesus has done. Jeremiah 31 says, I'll forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Aren't you thankful for that? That Jesus went to the cross not for what he had done, but for what you and I had done. That Jesus shed his blood on the cross because without the, forgive, without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. But then the grave, the cross, death could not hold Jesus. Is that the scriptures say on the third day, Jesus rose again, conquering death, overcoming sin, and he is alive today. And whoever believes in Jesus, even when he dies, will live. Do you believe this? And that's why God remembers our sins no more. Not because we clean ourselves up, but because we believe in Jesus, who is our sacrificial lamb. So in this moment, I just want to pray and I want to ask the Lord to prepare our hearts to remember. To remember this supper, this meal, this communion. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for this glorious story here in Mark 8 of you providing God, we could have story after story of just standing up in this room and sharing how you've provided from $20 to 20 cents. God, you have been faithful to every one of us. You've poured out your grace, your compassion, your generosity on each of us. Lord, I confess, I forget. We forget. We're forgetful people. Lord, may even this meal remind us of what you've done. In the name of Jesus, amen. Will you take the elements and then hold them?